Welcome to Glasgow Evangelicals Podcast. Thanks for listening with us today. Our hope is that today's sermon equips you to live the gospel joyously. Come along with us as we learn to live the gospel together. Hey, dear Heavenly Father God, as we just come to you this morning, this is, this is your church. We are your people, and Lord, as we lift our voices to worship you, would we realize that you are the joy for this world. That God, through your son, Jesus Christ, we have hope and we have peace and we can look forward to resurrection. We know that you heal all things. We know that you are just and that you are right and, um, and you work all things for your glory. And so God, would we choose to glorify you always? But would we see that a relationship with you is what you desire? The fact that you want to walk with us and that you want to talk with us and that you want to lead us in a, in a path that is completely of, of you and full of your grace and your mercy and your truth. And Lord, it teaches us how to, how to live in this world. So God, this Christmas season with all these things going on and uh, the hustle and bustle of things and, and even just daily life of just grinding on us, Lord, can we take a step back and see that you are good and that your son, Jesus Christ, is something to be absolutely joyous about. So God, would we lay everything down at your feet this morning and focus on you the author and perfecter of our faith. God, be with people in the snow right now with uh, just helping them to be cautious and careful, give them attentive eyes, attentive, um, attentive ears to be able just to know what's going on around them. And, and Lord, would we just enjoy this amazing snow. In your holy name we pray, amen. Uh, hey, last week we started the Advent season and we started talking about the first two weeks of Advent uh, way a long time ago is actually looking at the coming of Jesus Christ when he comes back again. And the last two weeks is looking at the, the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. And I came across a really interesting uh, scripture, and I, and I want to share it with you this morning because this is completely different than uh, most uh, stories we would read on most stories we would read during Advent. And the reason why is because Advent this week is all about peace. And we would usually talk about how Jesus came and it was peaceful and, and all of that. But this story really hit me hard as, um, as I was reading with my kids last night and just really thinking about, well, what does peace really mean? What does the peace of Jesus Christ look like? Because with him coming means that we do have peace. We have not only the hope of the resurrection, but we have the peace that, wait a second, everything that is going on around us or the sins that we have in our lives have been taken care of through Jesus Christ. And this story that uh, came across our, uh, our reading last night comes in the form of a sinful woman coming to Jesus and Jesus is at this dinner party and she finds out that Jesus is there and she comes in with her perfume and this is what transpires. It says this, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman came from the city, heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. 
Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and he wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him a story. A man loaned money to two people, 50 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he, can, whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust off my feet, but she washed them with the tears and wiped, with, wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the, time I came, from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing me. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins are, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And then he replies to her. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. So as we walk into this Christmas season, yes, man, we know that Jesus is coming. And yes, we know that this room is full of people who fall short of the, of the glory of God. But I find it interesting that what it is, is he gives peace. The peace that we are forgiven of our sins. The peace that we will one day be with him again. And the peace that when he says, would you take my yoke upon you for it's easy and my burden is light, walk with me. That's the peace that he gives. And so I hope this season that as we look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ, we can also look at the peace that he gives us until that day comes. And so... Uh, I just want to pray one more time. Hey, dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your peace that we could come and we could be made whole because of you. In your name we pray, amen. If you have your Bibles with me, why don't we flip to uh, Acts 27, Acts chapter 27. We've been going through a series for the whole year now on Acts and uh, the whole entire book of Acts once again is... Uh, kind of centered around or has its foundations in Acts 1.8. And so it's right here, and we'll read it together. You ready? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the outer ends of the earth. That's the whole point. The whole point is as God sets up his church that we are witnesses everywhere we go. And this week is kind of a, an interesting week. We're almost to the end of this, and so we're going to go through a whole entire chapter. But the reason why I say this is an interesting week is because when you go through something in your life and you have this cool story to tell, it's really easy to say it, isn't it? It's really easy to tell, even though it might have been a traumatic experience or things that we go through, as, as we come out the back end of it, it's really easy to go, hey, here's the deal, this is my story. 
Or some of you have really fun stories, right? Like, oh man, this hunting story. I could tell you yesterday when Noah and I went coyote hunting after we're done and like, yeah, this was really fun. I mean, we could tell you all these stories. And so uh, this story though uh, in Paul's life is being faced to look like he's going to be shipwrecked. And so um, I had to find you guys a story of somebody who almost faced being shipwrecked. They didn't get shipwrecked right on Fort Peck Lake. And so uh, would you watch this? Hey, by the way, I am not Spielberg. Okay, I'm not Steven Spielberg. When you watch this, I know that there's mistakes. But here you go. There you go, right here. Tim Gutenberg. Yes. You bought a boat this summer. We did. We bought it in the spring. So more like a sailboat, right? It was a sailboat, a little 22-footer. So we did. Sunday afternoon, we went for a little joyride. On the maiden voyage. Maiden voyage. Put the boat in the water. It was a little bit not enough wind to take us anywhere. So we just come out of the Marina Bay. We had the sails up, and we were going. Maybe a couple knots. Like, there was no wind. So we tacked and we came back around and we're heading towards the marina and all of a sudden we start getting phone calls and texts. Hey, you guys see the storm coming, right? And we're trying as fast as we can with no wind, but yeah, the storm was just right, just about over the top of us. So we dropped the sails, put the little two horse motor in and we clipped along as far as we could and instead of going into the marina bay, we chose to take that next bay. And we got within about 100 yards of safety, right? And we're just cruising up that. And I said, great, we're giving each other high fives. We made it. And so I run out front, and I'm dropping the anchor. Because we know it's coming. We're just going to anchor, and we're just going to, that's where we're going to stay for the storm. In the boat, with the anchor down, pointing into the wind, in this bay where we don't get much wave action. I start lowering the anchor. It's a 100-foot rope, and it just tangles on me completely. And I look at it, I'm like, oh no. Well, by then, she's running the prop. You know, it's just a little outboard. And she's like, Tim, Tim, honey. And all of a sudden I look up and we're not facing the bay anymore. We're actually facing the dam. And it's turning us and taking us as we go. And so I just drop the anchor, tie it up, and there's probably 20 foot instead of 100 out there. And I just jumped back there and I said, get underneath. We're in for the ride of our lives now because there's no way we could have turned back around with that little motor. Yeah. And it just took us and took us and took us. And it was two and a half hours of 49 mile an hour gusts, three different directions. <laughs> so with a dead boat is a lot less fun than with a boat that's got a motor. So where are you sitting this whole entire time? <clears throat> I'm on the very back holding the rudder and holding the lifeline and by then the waves are six foot eight foot who knows how deep they were we were it wasn't fun we'll say that so we were between the rocks and the island per okay. se we were maybe a little bit past the island if you looked both directions but at one time the storm was coming down so bad you couldn't see the rocks or the island. Oh, she's down there hanging on she's got the garbage can below her Joel's staring at his phone about this far away tried to ignore what we're going through and yeah we just tried to keep the tail end with the wind or yeah with the wind as much as we could and it just kept taking us and taking us and taking us and it wasn't taking us fast enough to get us to like Bear Creek 
So we were just out there just floating, you know, just just rocking back and forth. And sometimes the boat was almost at a straight down angle because of those waves. So yeah, we rode it out and fought two inches of rain and lots of wind and lots of wind. That's ridiculous. And so what are you telling your wife this whole time? <laughs> we'll be fine. It'll be okay. And then once in a while I'd be like, oh boy, here we go. And she'd be just, she would kind of give a, a terrible scream down there. Yeah. And Joy, Joy was actually on the phone like wondering, can search and rescue come and help us? Well, we're not really lost and we're not really broke down per se. We were just floating in the middle of yeah. this awesome storm. And really there was no danger there was no non-safety issues we were still afloat everybody could see us we were just far enough away they had to use you know binoculars or they could just see this with the mass the whole time yeah <laughs> i think my mom was more concerned than anybody sitting on the dock in the marina watching this you know completely safe son and her grandson are out there yeah yeah as soon as we got back onto the dock she's like you don't ever take my six-year-old out there again <laughs> the next day the first sale sign went in it tim gutenberg yes you bought a <laughs> boat this summer that's on loop but hey sometimes we can look back at those stories right and go Whew, we made it, right? Like, there's so much else. I mean, him and I talked for a really long time. And so if you uh, want to help them out with marriage counseling, you can just sit and chat with them. I'm just joking. They're, they're doing really great. But there's a couple things uh, that he said that I didn't want to put in the story. And the first one, it was this, is that um, he says in, in a little clip, he says, I was willing to destroy the boat if it meant that my family was safe. So what he meant by that is, man, I'll go run at a ground so we can jump off and, you know, and I'll just let her go, right? It's unbelievable that when we get in those moments, we realize what's truly important. And then he said something really interesting. He goes, if my wife and kids weren't with me and I had five of my buddies, this would have been the greatest adventure story of my life, <laughs> right? Right? We... We would have toasted ourselves afterward and said, we, that was amazing. And it's interesting how we take those different scenarios along with us. But what happens when we are actually in this gale force of wind around us and things are whipping around? How, how do we face this idea that we could be shipwrecked? Because it's really not, we don't really know how it's always going to end. We definitely know how it starts, but we don't always know how it ends. And, and as we look at this scripture today in Acts 27, I think that's exactly what, what the author is trying to get at here. Is not only is it just a narrative story, but I think that there is a little bit that we can pull out um, for ourselves to go, okay, how do we face being shipwrecked? Because there's lots of you in this room right now that are in a situation in which you're going, I've been holding on for dear life for a while now, and I don't know how it's going to turn out. I've been praying for a different outcome, right? You, uh, we, 
I, I, asked, um, I asked him, I said, hey, what are the things you're saying to God at this moment, right? And he's like, well, I mean, and I, and I let him, because I'm, I'm a pastor, and I'm sure he was just like, I'm trying to say the nice things, but I'm like, you were cussing, right? Because I would be, right? Like, oh my gosh, what's going on here? And he's like, well, I was actually thinking about Forrest Gump standing on the top of the mask going, is this all you got? <laughs> right? Just having fun with those things. But some of us are in these moments and we're sitting here going, God, I, I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know if I can hold on much longer or God, it would be really great if you could just step, step in and do X, Y, and Z. And all while sitting there going, this should be an easy fix. I don't understand why we can't get out of this. I don't understand why the search and rescue can't just come and get us right away. I don't understand how somebody can't just go, poop, you're done, you're safe, you're, you're doing okay. And I'm talking about lots of things. I'm talking about financial situations that you find, might find yourself in, uh, relationship things with your spouse, maybe even coworkers once again, maybe even just the fact of your health, of going on, going, I just wish this would change. Being maybe a business owner. Maybe you have been struggling on the inside all along going, what is going on with this sin that just keeps on racking me over and over again? And this is exactly an amazing example for us, even though, once again, it's still part of the narration. And, and there are some of these things that I will tell you, I'm going to take a, a little bit of leeway today and go, this is what I think that we can, uh, how we can apply this section of scripture with us today. But even in the midst of this, I think that we can see, all right, how do I face these things? How do I come out the other end going, God, you're still good no matter what? And so if you're with me taking notes, we're just gonna take this section by section. We're gonna start in verse 13 and we're just going to read this together. And, and I'll tell you what's going on is um, they... Uh, Remember, uh, Paul has been asked to go to Rome, and so they start uh, their journey by sea to, to Rome, and they've been kind of on their first leg of journey, and they come to one of their first ports, and it's starting to become pretty late in the season because one of the things that happens is, is uh, they just got done um, with one of their fasts and just looking at things, and so this, this kind of festival at that time is quite late in the season. We're talking about end of uh, about beginning of October, end of September, those sort of things. And so it's getting pretty cold. The, um, the weather is not the greatest. And so he comes to uh, his centurion. He says, hey, we shouldn't be sailing on this. This isn't safe. I think we're going to end up losing property and probably some people are going to die. That was just Paul's kind of, hey, this is not a good thing to be doing. And so they end up jumping on this ship that is a transporter of wheat uh, to Rome. And, and so they jump on this ship. There's about 276 people on this ship. It's probably one of the biggest ships that are out in its daytime or out in this um, age of uh, building ships. And so this is where we're gonna pick up in verse 13 of, of chapter 27. And it says this. It said, when a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought that they could make it. So they pulled up anchor and sailed close to the shore of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly and a wind of typhoon strength called a northeaster burst against the island and blew us out to sea. The sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. We sailed along the sheltered side of the small island named Cod. 
where, there were, where with great difficulty we hoisted aboard the lifeboat being towed behind us. Great. So what does this have to do with much? And, and this idea is this, is that life does just come to us abruptly sometimes. But also, I think we pull some things onto ourselves, right? Paul is saying, hey guys, you should be aware of this, right? We know that, uh, we know even around here, weather changes incredibly fast. And so when you're facing being shipwrecked, here is the one thing, if you're taking notes with me this morning, is this is what I would say, is hold on, hold on. There are some times in which we sit there and we look at, oh my goodness, I don't want to be in this situation, but I'm going to tell you that I could sit down with every one of you this week and I could do a video and I could ask you, tell me a story, and I guarantee that you've got a story for me about something that's going on in your life, something that happened a couple weeks ago, something that happened just today even as you're going here, as you're coming here. But here's the deal. Hold on. And if you want to be super spiritual a little bit with me today and kind of write in the section here is, I would add this, is hold on to the assurance of God's promises. Hold on to the assurance of God's promises. I find it interesting that just two chapters back from that, Paul is sitting there and he has a dream and an angel comes to him and says, or actually, not an angel, Jesus comes to him and says, hey, I just want to let you know that you are going to be going to Rome and that you will be telling the Roman emperor about me, about what I'm doing. And, and so in this very moment, Paul is in this ship and it is being just tossed by every sort of uh, wave and things that are happening, they're getting cold, and he can look back and he can go, it's okay. God has already assured me that I'm gonna be in Rome telling people about him. What are some of the assurances that you guys have? There's lots of them I can think about, right? I think I can think about right away, Micah 6, 8, and I can think of this idea where he just says, hey, if you're struggling, here's what God is asking you to do, just to walk humbly with him. There's other verses that say, hey, uh, all things work together for good for those who are called by his name. And can we know that God is working things out for good, that all things are going to go to his glory? And we've talked about this over and over again through the whole entire book of Acts is at some point, would you look at what you're going through and go, this is what is, this needs to be pointing to the glory of God, not to myself, not to my good story, not to any of those things, but to the fact that God is good. And so the story continues to go on as Paul knows that he can hold on and be okay with the assurances of God's promises. And, and it goes on in verse 17. Then the sailors bound ropes around the hull of the ship to strengthen it because they were so concerned that it was going to break up that they not only pulled the boat, the lifeboat that was behind them and shored it, but they started wrapping ropes around the hull of the boat to keep it all together, all the way down to the bottom, up to the top. I don't know how they did that in the wind. Um, Tim could just hold on. But um, there's, there's this idea that, no, we want to strengthen the boat a little bit more. They were afraid of being driven across the sandbars of Sirtis of the African coast, so they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven before the wind. 
The next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The trouble, the terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until the last, until at last all hope was gone. No one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left, left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and lost. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For the last night, an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God, I believe God. It will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. Man, look at this crazy story. And all of a sudden we see that things that we find are important aren't so important anymore. We start throwing things overboard. We start doing whatever we possibly can to get ourselves out of a situation. And we should, right? We shouldn't just sit there and go, nope, I'm sitting back and God's going to do whatever he wants to do. No, this is a moment where we actually do work towards going, hey, what can we do to make this situation better? But something that I looked at as I was going through this, and if you're taking notes once again, is this, is be careful of exhaustion. Be careful of exhaustion. The thing is, is I think sometimes what happens most of the time is when we're in the middle of these storms, what do we do? We try to, we try to do everything we possibly can and we wear ourselves completely in a tizzy of maybe being worried or we are just kind of just trying to do everything, making phone calls, making everything work. And then finally, at some points, we just go, I just can't do anymore. I'm exhausted. And this is where I think uh, David understands this because he was going through so many things. And at one point he says this in a psalm. He says, he renews my strength. At what point do we just keep on fighting and become exhausted? And at what point do we maybe turn back and go, God, would you give me the strength to face today? Would you give me understanding in what I'm supposed to be doing today? You know, I've shared with you lots and lots of times, but uh, if, you look at the, if you look at life as a pie chart, right? And if I was to say, hey, in this pie chart, what is your responsibility in the certain situation that you're in right now, right? What if you're having really hard problems with finances or spouse or whatever, and you're looking at this pie chart and you go, hey, well, only 10% of this is my fault, I would usually look at you and I would say, well, then what are you doing right now that helps you take care of that 10% that's going on? And all of us want to look at that 90% and go, no, that's everybody else's stuff. And we try to fix everybody else's stuff, but not ours. Where's our heart? What's going on? Are we, are we absolutely exhausting ourselves, fighting and not actually knowing where our strength comes from? And this is exactly what Paul does at the very end of this. He says, hey guys, I just want to remind you, we probably shouldn't have done this, but now that we're in this, I just want to let you know that we'll all be fine. We'll all be okay. 
don't exhaust yourself and, and not eat. And I, and I really actually don't know how you could probably eat in a boat, you know, that's just in a northeast, like, I've never been on a ship like that. I've never felt like, yeah, I've never felt like puking or anything like that on a boat. But like, I can imagine these guys are like, hey, no, I, I'm not eating those eggs, right? Pickles, is that what they serve on boats back then? I don't know. But just thinking about all of that sort of stuff, and, and here's the deal. At what point do you just go, God, I'm, I'm going to fight, but I need your strength, and I need you to tell me exactly what to do. Not what somebody else should be doing to make the situation better, but God, would you give me strength? Would you give me encouragement? Would you know what I need to, be, what I need to do? In fact, actually, Jesus says it in Luke chapter 22. He says, who can even add another day to their lives? If you continue to run around being exhausted and worried, it doesn't help. But if you take a step back and go, God, what are you asking me to do? There's sometimes, even, even last night when I was reading the, the chapter to my kids, I was just thinking, wow, look at this. Look at all of these great things that I can understand about peace and about um, having peace in God. I'll give you just an example today. Um, I meet with a person on Sunday mornings at, uh, <clears throat> at 8 o'clock in the morning on Sundays, and we just talk about the sermon and talk about, hey, is there anything that's interrupting you? And last night at about 11.30, I lost all the footage for this video. And so I'm sitting there going, oh, great, right? I couldn't find it. I'd have to, and so I'm just in a tizzy, and then I'm just like, finally, I'm like, I'm going to bed. I didn't set my alarm last night. I totally forgot about it. And so at 7 o'clock, my wife is like, hey, you're usually at work at 7. And I'm just like, oh, right? And I'm like, I'm like, that's not good. That's all I said. She's like, what's not good? And I didn't even answer her. I just, you know, and, and I come in here and... Uh, my friend this morning just says, hey, how are you doing? And I'm so frantic, right? And I'm just trying to run around and do everything. And finally I got it at about nine o'clock this morning. God is like, why are you running around exhausting yourself to do this? Do you, are you not listening to what you're trying to be preaching? Because what is the point of running around being exhausted and looking like furious and and just go trying to make everything work. Are we glorifying God always? Are we trying to find the steps in which we go, God, you do give me peace, and I can walk with you. So be careful of exhaustion in these times when you are just not knowing what to do, but do your due diligence. If you need to get rid of something, get rid of something. If you need to add something, add something but please don't get exhausted. And he goes on in verses 25 through 26. And, and I'm sorry, I, I read a little bit too much, but let's go back to uh, verses 25 through 26. And he says, so take courage for I believe God. It will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. About midnight on the 14th, on the 14th night of the storm, as we were, be, we were being driven across the Sea of Adria, the sailors sensed land was near. They dropped the awaited line and found that the water was 120 feet deep. But a little later they measured again and found it was only 90 feet deep. At this rate they were afraid that they would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore. So they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship 
and prayed for daylight. I think when we're in the middle of being tossed around and we get to the point where we're going, man, I maybe am a little exhausted. It would be nice to have a little bit of encouragement. And I think the encouragement comes from maintaining hope. And so the third point of this is be encouraged, maintain hope be encouraged, maintain hope. I see at this very moment, I think these guys are really interesting. In a storm, they are dropping all their gear off. They don't have any stars to look at to be able to know where exactly they're at. They have no sun. They literally have lost all hope. And they're even to the point of just dropping whatever they can, right? Like, oh man, I, I need to drop this out to see where we're at, just to even get some sort of a bearing. They don't, they, they sense that land is coming. They don't know that land is coming. They sense that land is coming. I don't know how you do that. I'm not a sailor by any means. But what would happen if somebody came alongside of you in the middle of your storm and you feel like you're just about to be shipwrecked and somebody came and was able to encourage you? and help you with hope. What if you might have to do that yourself? When you have nothing left, what can you be encouraged by? I think you can be encouraged by lots of different things that A, you're not alone. We could match up all of our stories together and we, could come, we can come and we could see that, wait a second, we aren't really that much by ourselves, but we always feel like we are. We feel like we're so alone that nobody else understands. Encouragement comes from reading scripture. Encouragement comes from prayer. And encouragement comes from being with one another. To be able to have a community in which she says, hey, can you help me out with this? Sometimes I have people come into my office and they are struggling so much with, man, I can't make ends meet. I had one gal this week, I, I was able just to tell her, hey, it's not as bad as you think it is. You'll be fine. And you watch her face just go, oh, I can handle this. It'll be okay. How can you do that for other people? How can you be an encouragement? How can you maybe give a little bit of hope in situations? But also, how can you be encouraged? Sometimes it might mean that you look at the future and go, what could be? And if we're working on these things, what could be? But also, going back to it is this, is be encouraged that God's way is always going to be the best way. That when we decide to walk down the narrow path that doesn't lead to destruction and we are doing the hard things, be encouraged that our hope is that, guess what? At the end of it is the finish line. At the end of it is eternity with Jesus Christ. It's the hard way, sure, but it is the best way. And so be encouraged, maintain hope. And so he gets them to... Uh, he gets them to see that they're going to come up on shore and they're praying for daybreak. And um, what happens is, is that uh, in verse 30, we'll read together. The sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat as though that they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commander, officer and soldiers, you will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just as day was drawing, Paul urged everyone to eat. You have been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks, he said. Please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair of your heads will perish. Then they took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and, and broke off pieces and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged, began to eat. All 276 of us were on board. After eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. Their last ditch, that's their money maker right there. They threw it overboard. 
When morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. So they cut off the anchors and, and left them in the sea. Then they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, and headed towards the shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship struck fast while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of waves and began breaking apart. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure that they didn't swim ashore and escape, but the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, so he didn't let them carry out their plan. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump, aboard, jump overboard first and make for land. The others held on to the planks and debris from the broken ship, so everyone escaped safely to shore. I think this last part is the most interesting part to me of this is because in one instance, Paul is showing them, hey, here, everything is going to be safe. We're going to be fine. And then the very next morning when they finally see sea, when they finally see that everything is going to be fine, what's the thing that, well, not fine, but they're actually going to get off sea and be on land. And what's the first thing that these people do? They kind of go back to it and start thinking about their own lives once again. And so all of the soldiers go, we have to kill the prisoners, Right? And the prisoners, from all I can understand, the two prisoners were Paul and the people that he brought with him. And so Paul's been sitting there, like encouraging them the whole entire time. They get to this shore, and, and what's going to happen? Kill the prisoners! Right? Because we want to save ourselves. If they show up to Rome without the prisoners, guess what? They get killed themselves. Paul has shown himself over and over again that he's okay, that he can be trusted, that he is a leader. And he's been encouraging them, eat and do all these different things. And at the very end, when it looks like they're going to get out of it, another thing pops up. But here's what I think is interesting about Paul and, and maybe just his own faith is that this, and this is the very last note, is that no matter the outcome, have absolute faith. No matter the outcome, have absolute faith. And here's what I mean by that in this very moment in Paul's life. This is why I say this is because... It doesn't matter at this moment. Even if he got through the shipwreck, even if he got through the storm, at the very end of it, it doesn't matter the outcome. Because when we have absolute faith, we know, once again, that once we've gone through everything, if we have the assurance of God's promises and we've been doing what he's been asking us to do by not exhausting ourselves and we have our hope and we are being encouraged, the outcome is then God's. What would have happened? What would have happened if they killed Paul that day? I guarantee that the message of Jesus Christ would have still been brought to Rome. I guarantee that Paul, because of his hope in Jesus Christ, he would be in heaven and he's going, oh, I'm glad to get out of that place. But no matter what, the absolute faith is, is that I know the character of God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will continue to work out the plan and that's what my whole life wants to be about anyway. It is about glorifying God and being the witness that I am. And guess what? My whole entire life has been a witness. He constantly says that over and over again. He's been telling people, hey, I've been keeping my conscience clear in front of you all and I'm doing all of these things, but it is to God's glory and not my own. I mean, he gets it. He's in the boat going, no, I, I trust God in, in all of these events which is something that I find interesting. And uh, back in Jesus, when the disciples and him are on this boat and this storm comes up and Jesus is sleeping down uh, in the hole and they come to him and they go, Jesus, are you not even worried about this? Are, are you, do you not see that we're in all of these things? And Jesus comes up and he comes out and he goes, what, you guys are worried? Okay, great. And so he says, hey, you know, 
storm be calm, and the storm calms down. And then he turns around, and, and I know that all of his disciples before that are go, don't you even care that this ship could go down at any moment, that we could be gone? And he turns around to them, and what does he say to them? He says, your faith is really little right now. And so when we're going through storms, when we're going through different things, hey, it might not come out the way that we want it to. It might not end exactly how we think it's going to end. And we may look back and go, well, that was a complete and total waste. But if that's the case, then I don't know if we did the other three the way that we should have. And so I want to end with a, I want to end with another testimony. And this testimony is something that I've been holding on to for a really long time, wondering, hey, how are we going to show this? When do we want to show this? And this is such a, a powerful testimony, but this testimony doesn't go exactly the way that we would hope it to go. But I think you'll see that in Mary Stebbleton's life that she gets to the point of going, I have absolute faith in Jesus Christ and what he's doing among me and through me. And so would you watch this video with me? Becoming a Christian and giving the Lord your life means that you are submitting to his plans for you and whatever path that God may take you on. And, and I've had lots of joys in my life and I've also had um, some pretty difficult things that have happened. Um, 20 years ago, God gave us a little, little girl named Jessica. Um, we had waited for her for five years and prayed for her for five years. And when she gave, when, when she was born, it was July 17th, 1996. And I'll never forget, it felt like sunshine and rainbows. I mean, sh sunshine and balloons and joy just to have her there. Um, we had four children that were ages 10 through five, uh, prior to her, three boys and a girl. And we were getting to enjoy this little baby that we had wanted um, so, so much. Um, and with our, with our children, we always um, dedicated them back to the Lord. It was something that our church did. And she was two months old and my husband's parents were going to visit from the East Coast. And my husband Joel said, you know, let's have Jessica dedicated. And I'd always I'd done it with all four of the others. And yet with Jessica, I had this nibbling fear that if I dedicated her to God, that God would take her back. And yet when I had made Christ my Lord of my life, I had submitted to him in the plans that he had for me. And I knew that if I would refuse to dedicate her back to him, that I was putting her above God in my life, and I couldn't do that. So um, when she was two, I was about two months and a week old, um, we had the baby dedication. Actually, no, we backed her. I met with, we met with the pastor um, a couple days ahead of time, and I told him of my fear. And that I told him, but I was choosing to dedicate her back no matter what God's plan was for her. And I had no idea at that point in time anything about little Jessica other than that she was our beautiful little girl. So we dedicated her on a Sunday. And on the following Friday, um, Jessica got her well baby shots. And I have to say that all hell broke loose. And um, she began to vomit and uh, projectile vomit. And within 
seven days, I had her in and out of the doctor's office and the hospital seven times. And they kept telling me that she had reflux. Um, and finally, I told them, you've got to look deeper at this. And I refused to take her home. Um, so they kept her in the hospital overnight and found nothing wrong. But there was a, it was a teaching hospital. Children's Hospital was a teaching hospital. And um, some interns came to visit me in the middle of the night when I was holding her. Um, and they asked questions. And I um, told them I didn't know. Anyway, they, they asked questions about her. And then they all left. And then this one little intern, little, I mean little, because he looked really young to me, um, turned around from the group and came back to me and said, um, have you seen any involuntary muscular movement around the time in which she vomits? And I said, no, all I see is squirming, squirming, and then she vomits. And anyway, the next day they sent her home um, and saying that she had milk allergies, dairy allergies. That night, after the doctor sat down with us and told us um, had a, she had a, a, de, a degenerative brain disorder, um, cause and care unknown, um, and that she had weeks, months, or years to live. They had no idea that how, what the outcome would be. There was 50 kids in 30 years that had ever been diagnosed with her disease. Um, that night when I was by myself, for the first time after hearing those words, um, I cried out to the Lord. I just cried out to the Lord and just, um, we'd prayed for her for five years. And he was gonna take her back, just like I had feared. The room, the bright, sunshiny day, the, the sunshine and the balloons that I remember were gone. And there was just nothing but darkness. And then the fears began to bombard me, almost like I was being, like somebody was throwing rocks at me. How was my marriage going to survive? My marriage had been struggling for 25 years. How was I going to be able to take care of my other four children? And how was I going to let her go? And then all of a sudden, I heard this voice in my head that told me, if you keep your eyes fixed on me, you will get safely through the other side. And I made a decision that night. I could have turned from God in anger because I'd followed him since I was 17. I had done everything I could to walk with him, and yet, he was allowing my worst nightmare to come true. But then I had these four children that I was responsible for leading 
We had, and I, I, I made a decision that night because I knew if I ran into the night that eventually I would be back to the Lord. But if I ran into the night, my four children that were following me, they weren't solidified in their faith and they might end there in darkness without the Lord. So I made a decision that night to fight for her life but not cling to it. I made a decision that night that no matter what the path, that on the other side, I would love the Lord. And I have to tell you that God was faithful to me. And I did face my worst nightmare, and God did allow her. No, God took her home. Um, but he was faithful to me, and he helped me get through all that dark time, which was obviously her dying process and then the years of trying to go on with life on the other side. But he faithfully walked me through that, and I learned something in that process that you can't learn in easy and good times. I learned that I have a living God that hears me. He doesn't always answer the prayers. He doesn't always answer my prayers the way I would have him do it. But he has a good plan for my life, even if it doesn't feel good. I just want to encourage you, wherever you're at in life, whatever you're facing, we, we live in a very fallen world, and disease is part of that, death is part of that, people making choices that hurt us is part of that. But if you can just keep your eyes fixed on the Lord, you will get safely through the other side. That no matter where he takes you, you will never walk alone. I'll ask the uh, worship band to come forward and cool thing. Uh, Mary is right now um, getting to uh, be with one of her grandbabies, and so that's why she's not here. So she's soaking up that baby time right now. But um, such a cool story of understanding that, no, this, hold on to the, the promises of God. That don't, don't get exhausted about trying to fix everything, but really be encouraged and maintain hope so that no matter the outcome, as we have absolute faith, we know that God is walking with us. Thanks for joining us again for another sermon of the GEC podcast. Connect with us at GlasgowEC.com or every Sunday morning at 10 here in Glasgow, Montana. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes because this helps us share the word with more people. See you next week.